everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs and exclusive home of Cubs Checking. Open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. I'm Tony Andracki filling in as host this week. We have Elise Meneker, who is in L.A. covering the incredible first game of the Cubs Dodgers series. Andy Martinez uh, as well joins us. And so, guys, just really off the top, um, this was just a crazy opener to to the series, to the West Coast trip. Elise, what was your perspective and initial thoughts on on this no-hitter, this combined, the first combined no-hitter in Cubs history, but the 17th no-hitter overall in the franchise history? Yeah, I think that for me is the fun and exciting part is the historic part that it's never been done before. I mean, to always be a part of history is one of the coolest things. And I think something in the moment that you don't even realize and think about, but to be in LA, to be able to interview Craig Kimbrell after and to, like I said, just kind of witness it and in a small way, be a part of it. Uh, that was, that was really cool. I have to say. Andy, how about you? You know, I watching from Chicago and stuff. What was, uh, what was it like? I know you and I were talking and you were like, this felt a lot like the Alec Mills no hitter last year. Yeah, it really did in the sense that like in the sixth inning, I'm like, oh, they have a no hitter going. And in the That's, seventh I inning, I'm like, they're on the same, like the fifth or sixth. Yeah, I'm like, they have a no hitter going. And then in the seventh, you're like, they still have a no hitter yeah. going. And then in the eighth, they're like, they might actually do it. That's exactly how it felt the whole time. Um, and that's how it felt with Alec Mills uh, against Milwaukee last season. It's like, oh, he's got it through the sixth. Oh, he's got it through the seventh. And then by the eighth, you're like, he might actually do this. Um, and and the the thing with the Cubs is like, once you turned it over to Ryan Tapera, Andrew Chafin, and Craig Kimber, you're like, all right, there's a really good chance that, that, that they're going to go through with this, just given how good those three guys have been um, all season. Uh, and, and it was just it was just surreal in the sense that like, there's just so much, so many good storylines coming out of it. Like you mentioned, the first combined no hitter, but then to do it against the defending world champion Dodgers, who have, you know, what a lot of people said was the best team in baseball, the best lineup in baseball, um, a team that you know has three former MVPs. Like there was, it's just so crazy that they did it against the Dodgers and that they were they were able to to put it all together and and combine and get this no hitter. Yeah, and I, I loved hearing from some of the guys too, just about their perspective on it. And Elise, you actually caught up with. The closer, Craig Kimbrell, right after the game on the interview uh, on the field. I'm sorry, and it was just a great post game interview. So let's take a listen to that real quick. You close it out for the Cubs' first ever combined no hitter of all the accomplishments, success that you have had to be a part of a game like this. What was that like? Uh, it feels great. Uh, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. I had no idea. Um, until the last out and everybody came running out. Um, I was just locked into the game and uh, I was just going out there to do my job. And uh, I mean, everybody did such a great job today. I mean, uh, Zach took the ball and went out there and did what we needed him to do. And uh, we needed this game today. And I mean, there's no better way to do it than this. So then do you see Contreras after that last out fired up? Yo, was that yeah, what triggered yeah, that, it? That was, that was the giveaway. I was like, man, something just happened. And um, Then who told you? Um, Tapera came out. He says, you don't even know what just happened, do you? And I was like, I have no idea. Um, but, man, that was, that was fun. Let's uh, see it again tomorrow. And I saw that you had the game ball. Yeah, and you yeah. said, no doubt, that is going to Zach Davies. Yeah, that's his ball for sure, 100%. The way that you have pitched this season, how much do the struggles that you went through last year, have they made you who you are in this moment? Well, they definitely, they, I, I learned a lot about myself. Uh, I learned, uh, you know, how to get through those humps. Uh, I had to go through them last year. Um, and when those things start sneaking up, uh, don't, don't let them, you know, do too much, get ahead of them and 
uh, take care of problems before before they get here. And uh, I've been able to do that. Uh, my timing's been good this year. Uh, me and Contreras or whoever behind, who's behind the plate, we've been on the same page. Um, and our entire pitching staff, really. I mean, we've been we've been really feeding off each other. Uh, we've been really rolling this year, and uh, hopefully we can keep it going. Well, with that pitching staff, we called it the three-headed monster, the trifecta, but Tapera, Chafin, and you, to have those guys set you up, what is it like? How does it even set the tone for you? I mean, those guys have been great this year, but it's not just them. I mean, it's everybody down there. I mean, everybody, uh, David gives them the ball, and we go out there, and we do our job, and, I mean, we're having fun with it. Uh, we're all accountable. Um, we all expect each other to do good each and every night, and that's what we've been doing. And to have a game like this against one of the best lineups in baseball, what does it say about this team? Uh, we, we show up to play every night. It doesn't matter uh, who's on the other side of the diamond. Uh, we feel like we can win, and that's what we've been doing. And finally, Craig, from your eyes, what has made you so effective this year? What's going right? Strike one, like just getting ahead, uh, not, not being behind batters, and uh, just being aggressive. Um, and it's working out so far. So there you have it. Kimbrell was saying, uh, just like probably a lot of Cubs fans, I imagine, uh, that he didn't really know that there was a no-hitter going on. And uh, I know Andrew Chafin said the same thing. And it was it, it's difficult um, from where they're positioned just to see it. But then when you have eight walks, so yeah. guys in the bullpen, there were maybe people in the stadium, definitely people in Chicago, I imagine, watching the game, didn't quite realize the magnitude of what was going on. Uh, at least what was your takeaway on just these, these three relievers coming in, not realizing there's no hitter going on, and just in general, when it kind of clicked in for you? You said like the fifth, sixth inning, you started realizing. Yeah, so I think it was when we kind of started to acknowledge it uh, on the broadcast. I looked up the scoreboard myself, and I was like, oh, yeah, I think, and I think that was around like the fifth or sixth. And it probably similar to what the guys in the bullpen were saying is because there was traffic on the base paths, you may not have realized it because of uh, Davies early on, the five walks of tying a career high. And then you had a few more later on. And, and Andy, I just want to say that you were like, oh, you thought it would be, you know, like once Tapera and Chafin and Kimbrell go in, that you're like, I think this will happen. I was like David Ross, or I was like, don't give up a hit, like feeling kind of nervous because this be, could that be the time? You know, it always seems like when things like that happen. But I think uh, like some of the guys were saying, it may have been better. They didn't know. It sounds like between the traffic on the bases and then also the way the bullpen is situated and how it is. They couldn't really keep track of the game the way they're used to. So uh, I believe it. I don't, if you see Kimbrell's reaction at the end of the game, I laugh out loud because I genuinely think he had no idea what was going on when Wilson came up to him. Uh, and you can sense that too in the interview. I really appreciate it. Just the genuine emotion. It's probably one of the best parts when you get to do those interviews. Andy, what stood out to you just in terms of the relievers not understanding what was going on or realizing they were in the midst of a no-hitter? Yeah, so when I heard Craig Kimbrell say it after the game that, you know, he didn't know, my first reaction was like, no, you like you can't like, how could you not know? I mean, it's a no hitter. Everyone knows. Um, and then Andrew Chafin said it. And I'm like, all right, like maybe they're buying into this bit. And then when Ryan Tapera said it, I'm like, all right, maybe like maybe they really didn't know. And then, uh, you know, I asked Craig Kimbrell about it in the postgame Zoom. I was like, you know, like what makes it so hard about like that you can't see what's going on? And the, the bullpen at Dodger Stadium, and at least uh, you, I've been to Dodger Stadium, at least you were there. The, the bullpen at Dodger Stadium is in, nestled in the right field corner. Like, 
there's just like a small sliver of a, of a fence that you can kind of see the game through and you know, it makes it tough. You can't see everything going on. And, and Craig Kimball mentioned it. He says, you know, there was, there was eight walks. And when you see all those, that traffic on the base path, you just kind of assume like, all right, one of that, like one of those was a single, that third one was a single. Like you just kind of assume one of those has to be a hit. Like they, they can't all be walks. And, and, you know, of course they were all, uh, they were all uh, walks and, and that contributed to the no hitter. Uh, but that was, that was just the cool thing. Like I, like, you know, I kind of was skeptical saying like, but like you had to know it's a no hitter, but no, they, they were right. Uh, they, they were probably, they were telling the truth. You know, they did, they did not know. Yeah. And one of the things that really, um, I, I really wish I was a fly on the wall because Andy, you and I were talking about this too, that Andrew Chafin found out after he came out of the game, he was sitting in the dugout. I'd love to be like a fly on the wall in the dugout there as, as these guys, as Tapera, as Chafin realized like, Oh my God, I was part of a no hitter. And I just pitched a, an inning like that. Like that would just be phenomenal to see that kind of reaction to see it play out. But Andy, when you were talking to Chafin on post game zoom, uh, you know, what was that like as he recounted being a part of it and then realizing that he was in a no hitter? Yeah. So we've all talked to, to Andrew Trafin, so we know how genuine he is. And in the Zoom, it was no different. Like he he walked into the dugout. He's getting his arm work, so he's ready to go tomorrow. And then he sees the little blurb on the on the game broadcast that says six no hitters this year. And he's like, why do they have that up? Like, what's like, what's the point? And then he goes, oh, he goes, oh, uh, maybe he's like, I think I might have just ruined it. Like, and he like in that moment, he realized, like, I just pitched a, an inning of no hit ball and we're now three outs away from a no hitter. That was like very genuine in the sense that you knew he was like, had no idea. He was just getting ready. It was just another day. It was just another eighth inning uh, shutout performance for him. And, and in reality, it was, you know, an eighth inning that preserved a no hitter that made history for the Chicago Cubs. Yeah, and at least I, I'm curious too, talking about being a fly on the wall, like being in that bullpen. It, those guys obviously spend a ton of time together. They're down there. They have really nothing to do but watch baseball and talk about the game or talk about life. I, from your perspective, what do you think that was like being in the bullpen throughout the game where evidently nobody down there realized that what was going on? Well, I love too then what Tapera said after the game is he didn't realize until after he came out of the game. And then by the time Chafin came out, he said he was already getting to work in. He was like, I thought about like running down and telling him. He's like, no, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to spoil it. Cause then you talk about like, you know, not jinxing it. And so I thought it was funny, even to Paris reacting, how he stayed in the dugout as opposed to going to tell Chafin what happened. Then you get Chafin finding out as he's kind of going throughout things. And then we see Kimbrell's reaction in the end. The best part is Davies is like, yeah, I had an idea, like the third or fourth inning, like he understood he, you know, the starter of course is always kind of more locked in. You get guys who don't really know as they go, but I think uh, like Davies said, he's such a mental pitcher. He was aware of that stuff. So as for that camaraderie and the chemistry in the bullpen, they are feeding off each other. You'd have to think with one performance, they don't want to let the, you know, the next guy doesn't want to let the other down. Even Chafin and Tapera have that competition going, guys, you can pitch the most games. So I think not only are they having fun, but they're clicking and it's showing. Yeah, and in a lot of ways, this was one of the more wholesome no-hitters I, I can recall in baseball history because of that, that aspect that these guys legitimately didn't realize they were a part of it. And and finding out all on their own, like three different stories of that. I just think that's a really cool aspect, probably my favorite aspect of, of this combined no hitter. But at least I'm curious your thoughts too. Do you think that helped them? Do you think Chafin, Tapera, and Kimbrell not realizing it was no hitter, do you think that helped them to go out there without that pressure on their shoulders and just, you know, do what they've done? Obviously, just one earned run in the last 54.1 innings. Like they, they've, 
just done what they've done for a month plus now. Yeah, I think it can. I think it was Tapera because some of the guys were asked about that. And I think it was Tapera who said that, yeah, it may have helped that he didn't know. Um, I think these are guys too, though, who are veteran pitchers who have been around, and especially if, even if you want to just look at the way they've been pitching as of late, they seem to be handling the big moments very well anyways. Now, this, of course, is you're going along trying to carry out a hitter. It can be the biggest of them all. But um, I think with the way they're locked in, it's hard to know in hindsight if they knew that was happening, how they would pitch. But I kind of believe that either way, um, would it have changed the outcome had they known? I don't know with the way they're pitching. I don't really think so, quite frankly. Yeah, and I'm even trying to think back, like, the history aspect. I, I can't think of a time in Cubs history where they're, they've had three lockdown relievers all pitching this yeah. well at the same time like this. I mean, this is uh, – somebody compared them recently to uh, like the 2015 Royals, like, you know, where like you just know you get to the bullpen and it's game over. And it's been that way with these three guys for a long time. So even Davies coming out of the game with 94 pitches through six innings, like, and, and Cubs coming off an off day, you just knew that they had a good opportunity to continue to finish this off. Um, but, it, you know, another cool aspect of this whole no hitter, Andy, is Wilson Contreras. He had a, he caught his first career no hitter. He had this monster game at the plate with a two-run homer that was, you know, huge. A two-nothing game is obviously quite a bit different than a four-nothing game uh, in the seventh, eighth, ninth innings there. And then he picked Mookie Betts off first base. So, Andy, what what was your takeaway from talking to Wilson after the game and just watching as he really led the Cubs and the pitching staff to this no? So Wilson Contreras is very much like a, like a, you know, kind of laid back personality and like very much like, you know, like, oh, the guys, the guys, but you could tell he was very proud to have finally caught, uh, you know, a first no hitter last year, obviously uh, Victor Caratini caught, caught Alec Mills no hitter. Um, and, and Wilson Contreras has been in the league since 2016. And he, he talked about the growth that he went through, um, you know, from, from, you know, when he came into the league and didn't know really much about, about anything and he and comes in now and he's a more mature player and, 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 his defense and his offense are just so crucial. Um, I think it was David Ross who mentioned uh, at the beginning of the year, maybe in spring training said, you know, if, if we had someone with Wilson's defense, we would take that. But then you throw in the bat and it's like, it's just like a plus plus uh, given what, what he can do both on both sides of the ball. And that, that Mookie play was, was huge because, you know, Mookie's on, on base, like Zach Davies has got to attack the hitter a different way. And, and now you, you, you get that out and all right, now I can go after this guy. Now I can, go try and get this out and not worry about, all right, I got to put a ball in play that, you know, if they get it right, like, well, who knows what could happen to go, go, go through the, go through the hole. And that was kind of what that was. There was a little bit of that throughout the the whole game during Zach Davies' start. I, I think back to the first inning, um, the grounder for the third out to Eric Sogard. Um, Eric Sogard made a, a nice play, but made a tough throw that um, uh, Anthony Rizzo had to grab on the bounce. And if he doesn't grab that, you know, like that's an error that a run can score um, then who knows what happens? We're, we're not here talking about a no hitter. We're talking here about who, who knows, maybe a Cubs, you know, close win, a Cubs loss. You, you just don't know. Um, there was just a lot of moments like that that really turned um, the, 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 the things on, on the Dodgers and allowed Zach Davis to kind of do his thing and the rest of the bullpen to do their thing. Yeah, and at least from uh, from the Wilson perspective, like it's kind of funny to look at a no hitter and think that the, the MVP of the game was not one of the guys that pitched. But I think the way that he guided the staff through him, we just heard Kyle Hendricks say it, and Hendricks usually says it after starts actually that like Willie helped me through it, Willie guided me through it, and the Cubs have have said that about Contreras, especially this year and last year, where he just steps up and 
helps guide the pitching staff and really has taken control of that part of his game. So at least what was your thoughts overall on just Wilson's performance and how he guided the pitching staff to this historic moment? Yeah, I mean, well-deserved. A catcher is part of that too, right? You can sense that too from David Ross talking about Contreras after the game, just, you know, always that pitcher-catcher relationship. And Zach Davies too even recently talked about it after one of his, I think it was his last start where he said, the relationship that he has built with Contreras, the way that Contreras can read swings and Davies does too, but Contreras being able to do it each pitch from behind the plate. And there's that trust element, that communication element. And Davies, you know, has talked about, he thinks that pitcher catcher relationship is the most important in baseball. Um, so I think right there, that kind of says it all that when you have a no hitter like this, and quite frankly, we've been talking about it all season, the way that Wilson has juggled this pitching staff with guys going up and down, getting injured, slotted in spot starts, whatever it may be. And that maturity, it's something that Andy, you mentioned that David Ross has talked about, especially when you just talk about his performance defensively and offensively. But I remember during spring training, Jake Arrieta was asked about Wilson Contreras from who he was to who he is now, because he played with him early on in his career. And then of course now, and he mentioned that maturity factor. The way he said he uses his resources and prepares, knows those scouting reports. And then I think it's also that communication element, having the confidence now, and not that he didn't before, but of course with experience, you kind of know what you're seeing, what you want to do. And he's telling his pitchers that. So I think it's great. I mean, I think that it's, like I said, well-deserved and, and any pitcher would tell you he's probably just as much a part of it. Yeah, and it, you brought up a good point there, too, that you can see David Ross's passion talking about it. And we saw Ross's passion when uh, he caught Jake Arrieta's no-hitter in Cincinnati. So it, it's kind of – it's great to see and hear Ross talk about Wilson as well and, and see how he's been a mentor to the young catcher from 2016 all the way until now. And, yeah, you you know, you can just hear when Ross talks about Wilson that you know that it's it's genuine. You understand that – the Cubs really know how much he means to this team for everything you both just mentioned, uh, how he handles the pitching staff, how he handles the offense, his arm. I mean, to get Mookie Betts there, but we saw that in 2017 NLDS in Washington to, to pick Lobatone off first base. We've seen that, you know, catching guys stealing and just keeping John Lester, Jake Arrieta or other guys uh, in the game and, and eliminating the base running uh, from opponents. And so I just think in, in general, Wilson has been such a key to this team. And Tony too, like, you know, we talk about his offense and defense deservedly. So he's also really fast. We have seen plays where he beats out balls to first or his speed is the reason they score a run. And I think sometimes it's easy to overlook that because you don't expect that a lot from catchers, but his speed is valued to this team too. And quite frankly, in general on this team, we've seen it this year, even say like with Hayward yesterday and his hustle, but just specifically with Contreras. I think that's something that you can overlook, but can't forget when it comes to him. Yeah, for sure. That's a great point, at least, because how many catchers do we see consistently stretch singles into doubles or uh, advance to second on a throw home like he just did against Cleveland the other night? How many catchers score from second on that crazy hobby play in Pittsburgh earlier this year? Like right, right. very few, if any, would even take the, the chance and take the risk. So, yeah, Wilson is special. It was definitely cool to see him have his big moment. And speaking of big moments, we're going to take a quick break. But then when we come back, we're going to talk a little Jock and Champ Peterson, how they got their World Series rings and a really cool moment here in L.A. At Wintrust, we know true fans show their team pride every chance they get. 
With Cubs Checking, you'll score a Cubs debit card so you can show your support every time you pay. Open today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. $100 required to open. Member FDIC. So as we talked about with big moments uh, before the game, it was kind of setting the tone for this magical night in L.A. At least you got to catch up with with Champ Peterson, but we saw his Jock Peterson got his World Series ring and his older brother, Champ, who has Down syndrome, but he was a huge part of the team. The Dodgers with a really, really classy move to give Champ his own World Series ring. What was your takeaway, at least from from talking to Champ about that big moment? Yeah. So when I saw Champ down on the field before the game receiving, I saw the box and then he opens it and I see the ring in it. And uh, I thought it was, of course, a, a cool moment, but I had read actually a lot about Champ before this season when the Cubs picked up Jock Peterson. And I tell you what, Champ was a huge part of that Dodgers team. I mean, he would speak to the team, was brought into the clubhouse, um, just became close with those players. Of course, Jock, uh, as much as probably Jock inspires Champ, I think Champ inspires Jock a whole lot. And so he's kind of like a celebrity in LA, if you don't know, but around the stadium, like everyone knows who he is. And so for me, seeing him, it was kind of like, I want to talk to Champ. And so to have that interview with him, um, he was so well-spoken, was so excited, genuine emotion. You talk about that genuine emotion from Champ. Uh, He took good care of that box with the ring in it throughout the whole game. He gave it to his mom at times to hang on to because the family was there watching. Um, So that was a really special moment. You could just tell the family was so happy to be there. Yeah, it's so funny that you say the celebrity because in LA, there's at Dodger games, there's always celebrities. And so, yeah, for Chan Peterson to be a celebrity among celebrities is really cool. But yeah, to your point too, if, if anybody hasn't seen, go look on YouTube. You can see some of Chan Peterson's pump up speeches that he's had uh, just throughout Jock's career. Um, I think there's one from, from like high school days as well, but with the Dodgers. And it was really cool how the Dodgers made him a part of that moment. And Jock has talked in the past about how Champ like you said, Elise, has Champ has really helped him add perspective to the game. And Jock has this great perspective. And, and we just even heard in this last homestand, David Ross was saying that Jock has been really good for the Cubs because he has this, this um, not that he doesn't care, he does, but like he's able to turn the page really quick and he's able to just be so casual and he flies up to the warning track instead of getting frustrated and throwing his helmet down. He'll have this really kind of funny demonstrative, like hand on the hip type of uh type of reaction to it. So I just think, yeah, in general, like Champ and Jack have, have helped each other. Um, but speaking of that conversation, at least you caught up with, with Champ. So let's hear from him. Jock Peterson's older brother, Champ Peterson. Really, I should almost say I have two guests because Champ, you got your own World Series ring. Show that thing off. I'm showing it off right now. <laughs> I'm very proud of it too. And because you were a big part of the Dodgers team too, of course you became very close with that team. Jock playing on it. Tell me that what that experience was like and then what it was like getting the ring today. Yeah, it's, it's like uh, an experience for me. But the Dodgers for 10 years in the making, Jock is playing an amazing part, an amazing opportunity for the Dodgers. And what there's the port the ring here on my finger. It's very uh, um, it's very cool. I'm very excited. I didn't know about it until I got here, so I'm very happy to be here. So then he asked you to come down to the field. He has this box in his hand. What are you thinking then when he opens it and you see it? When I see it or when he gave it to me, I didn't know what's in the box, but I'll tell you, he tells me, but after he didn't tell me, it, just, it came out as a surprise to me. It just, I didn't know. What does that say about Jock, the Dodgers, and just everything that that year entailed? 
everything down tell with the Dodgers and everything. They're a great organization, great team. And the Cubs are a great organization as well. But to be part of it is I'm very happy to be Jock's older brother. Yeah, about that. What can you tell us about Jock? We see him out on the field. Describe him as your brother. Yeah, my brother, he's amazing. What he does for himself, his family, and other people. He's a great person, great supporter, great advocate for me and for other people. I know what Jock does for me and for people with Down syndrome and individuals with disability as well. I know Jock more than anything. To see him back here at Dodger Stadium in a Cubs uniform, yeah. what's that like for you? It's a little different. Um, it just, it's a different vibe for me. Just being on the opposite side among other guys, other teammates on the team, I just feel like he's back at home now. He's back at Dodger Stadium. Well, we're going to let you watch your brother hit. So thank you so much for the time, Champ. We really appreciate it today. Well, thank you very much. So there you have it, Jam Peterson talking about uh, getting his World Series ring and his reaction to it. The Cubs, meanwhile, obviously they finished off the no-hitter Thursday night in L.A. They're 4-0 against the Dodgers to start 2021 here against the reigning world champs. Uh, and obviously they were they were 4-1, or sorry, 5-1 against the Padres as well. So against two of the best teams in baseball coming into the year, two World Series contenders, the Cubs have had a lot of success. And just in general, if you zoom out on June, Andy, and you look at the way this month started, we knew it was going to be such a tough schedule, such a tough schedule for the offense in particular, going against every opponent this month is in the top half of baseball and ERA. And most of them are in the top 10 or even top five. But to be 12 and 10, sitting with a week left to play in June, I think if you had told any Cubs fan that at the beginning of June, Andy, like every Cubs fan in the world would have taken that. Yeah, and then if you would have thrown in, hey, your uh, your opening day second baseman's going to be hurt. Your Nico yeah. Horner, who is going to come in and play second baseman, he's going to get hurt too. Your star revelation at third base, Matt Duffy, he's going to get hurt. Um, and then Ian Happ, your opening day center fielder, is going to be struggling. Jason Hayward is going to be going through a slump. Like if you would have said all those things and you said, hey, the Cubs are 12 and 10, you would have said, sign me up. I'm taking that right away because that's just so many things going up against the eight ball. And for them to be 12 and 10 uh, and 4 and 0 against the Dodgers is, is super impressive. And, and it just kind of, you know, kind of solidifies what we realize about this team in May. Like, hey, this team is is for real. And they're going to be pushing for that NL Central title. And, and uh, you know, as good as, as tough as uh, June has been and as grindy as it's been to to try and get through a, a daunting schedule, like you mentioned, the Mets, the Dodgers, the Giants, all these great teams. July is kind of like a, a little relief in a sense. I mean, obviously Major League Baseball, there's no easy wins, but you're talking, you're, you're playing the Diamondbacks who are like three for – 30 something in their last, you know, last 30 plus games. Uh, it, it's, it's, you know, there's a little bit of a reprieve from, from what they've gone through right now and a chance to kind of, you know, solidify their position as a, as a top dog in the NL central. Yeah, definitely. I mean, in, in among the injuries too, all the Edward Alzelay out and Trevor Williams and the rotation and you need Robert Stocks to come up in New York, throw four innings, he's DFA the next day, <clears throat> excuse me, the Mets then pick him up, like just all these different things that the Cubs have needed so many pitchers. And they've, as we talked about earlier with Chafin to Para Kimbrell, Ross has been really cognizant of not wearing those guys down, of making sure that they're fresh down the stretch, of looking at the big picture instead of trying to just grind out wins here. And I mean, right now it's working. I think the Cubs also, like we talk about Cubs fans, but the Cubs would take that going into this stretch with all these guys down, knowing that the offense had the, the longest stretch since I think it was 2006, where they scored less than three runs in a game, uh, you know, since 2006, like, 
they had that and they're able to just keep grinding past it with the offense and keep figuring it out against these really tough opponents. Um, but at least too, you know, you looking at the June schedule and zooming out, how important is this? Do you think this 12 and 10 stretch for now, we don't know how the, the rest of the Dodgers series is going to go or Milwaukee or the rest of the road trip, but at least like how important do you think this can be in terms of the Cubs solidifying their identity as a contender this summer? Yeah. I mean, I think these are the games that will tell you what you want to know about this team. And so not just that, but because they're on the road as well. I mean, this is a 10 game road stretch. That's tough. And so this is the time where you kind of find out who you are. And I was thinking like, okay, so then who did they finish out uh, June with? And I was like, wait, like it's the end of June after this road trip, like we're into July. Uh, so the month feels like it went pretty fast. And like you were saying, Tony, you'd have to feel pretty good so far, at least, you know, while we still have a week or so left that you have to feel pretty good about where they're at and the glimpses they're showing, even in the games that they didn't win, the glimpses you're showing of then bouncing back or a case like, you know, they open up against the Dodgers with a combined no hitter. And so you like to see just that at times when the hitting is struggling, the bullpen has stayed consistent, then the hitting picks up, then you see the wins come. And that's what you want to see out of a championship caliber team that, you know, they know this is, they keep reiterating, it's a long season. And I think it has clicked for them that it's actually a long season. It is not 60 games. And so they're able to settle in, relax, and know that every game doesn't carry the weight that it did last season. Yeah, and you one of the things we didn't even talk about too with the no hitter is the Cubs beating Walker Bueller for the first time in yeah, I first think was, loss. Yeah, first loss in like 23 starts, really since 2019. The guy hasn't lost a game, and um, that's an incredible aspect. And I was thinking too, like obviously the combined no hitter is a big thing, but at Wrigley, that was when things really started to turn. I think when the Cubs played the the Dodgers and had that first rain on, on the first game, but then came back in that double header and Keegan Thompson, that was when he arrived on the scene uh, with four shutout innings in game two of the double header. Uh, Kyle Hendricks really started to turn things around as well with a complete game again in game one of that. And, and I think that's where the Cubs made believers out of a lot of people outside of the clubhouse was that first Dodgers series in early May. And now we see it kind of come full circle a bit. Obviously there's still more than half the season. So we need to see how that plays out. But Andy, I, th I think you brought up a good point too in talking about the July schedule and looking at that, they, the all-star break is always a major refresh for every team, especially when you consider the Cubs have had just two off days in June. So they're going to get, you know, double that in a, in a one week stretch there with four days in a row off. And in addition to not just the Diamondbacks having six games against the worst team in baseball, they also play basically every opponent in July is either at 500 or below Reds, Phillies, Cardinals, Diamondbacks, Nationals. It's quite a different change from, from June where you had, you know, the, the Padres, the Giants, the Dodgers, the, you had Cleveland, New York and Milwaukee as well. Yeah. And that, that's, that's a, a big relief. And, and what's impressive was that, you know, they're, they're neck and neck with the Brewers right now, given their tough schedule and the Brewers are kind of the, the schedules are reversed for the Brewers. They're kind of going through what, the Cubs are going to go through in July that they're quote unquote easier part of the schedule. So if you can kind of keep, keep pace with the, the Brewers and then go through uh, the, the easier stretch in July and, and, and let the Brewers go through their tough stretch that that bodes well for, for the Cubs in the NL central in terms of, you know, building a lead, creating a lead, uh, asserting their lead in the NL central, because, you know, come August, you know, you don't want to be neck and neck with them. We, we've seen kind of what the Brewers are in September, the last two or three seasons, you know, it comes September and they're, they're all hands on deck. And, and I think it was in 19, they went like 25 and five or something like that and, and made it to the, to the wild card game. And in 18, 
they made their run to the to the uh, to the NLCS. So the, the the Brewers are a scary team come September, and and being able to build up a lead where you, you kind of have some wiggle room is, is going to be huge for the Cubs. Yeah, I think that's a great point. The fact that the Brewers had their early por- or easy portion of the schedule in June and then get a little bit tougher in July and the Cubs were the reverse and both teams are neck and neck in the division. So at least, you know, last thing before we kind of get out of here is as we look into this NL Central race and the Cubs, whether, you know, solidifying contenders and so on, we're just over a, a month away from the trade deadline. What are you looking at from, from the Cubs? What are you going to be watching over this next, the next five weeks before the deadline and just in general from the Cubs this summer? Yeah, I mean, I think one, I don't think there's going to be wiggle room uh, in the NL Central. I think it's going to kind of stay as is and be a tight race at the top. And I expect, quite frankly, the Cubs to keep doing what they're doing. Um, they want to win and they're focusing on each game. And I would say just about, I think it was a good point with the Brewers having a tougher part of their schedule coming up. And you could see the Cubs having it a little bit easier compared to June. And I think the catch with that, that the Cubs know is you don't then want to kind of relax and sit back, but you want to stay aggressive because then during these games, the Cubs are the ones with the target on their back and these teams who they're playing have nothing to lose. So they're going to be playing, you know, looser. And those are the games that can always, in the end, you can have, you know, a loss or two in some of these series. Uh, You wouldn't expect it, but sometimes that's kind of what happens with the way the Cubs are playing now. I don't expect a lot of that. I mean, obviously they're not going to win every game, but um, I think when it comes to, and everyone's looking at the trade deadline, I just, this is a team that is not thinking about that. They're not talking about it. They're not worrying about that. And I think they want to just show how they feel about it on the field. And that is, you know, winning, it, they always say solves everything. And, and who knows, it could create more problems in some people's minds for the Cubs. But I think really um, that is the biggest thing. And that's the unifying factor. These are guys who just want to win. Yeah, for sure. And you're right. Like they're not thinking about it. They have this one day at a time approach. And that's something that a lot of baseball players talk about. A lot of athletes talk about, but it's a very David Rossian type of way of looking at it. And, and he and John Lester, when they came to the Chicago in 2015 and Joe Madden as well, those three guys were a huge proponent of taking things one day at a time, not getting too far, uh, too caught up in looking at the future schedule or how this plays out. And I think that's been just a huge component of the team this summer. And, and it's going to be a huge key to, to them con- you know, continuing with this contention status and winning the division, getting where they want to go, which they always talk about. So uh, it'll definitely be interesting to see how things play out for the rest of LA and in Milwaukee next week. It's going to be a huge series for the Cubs. That'll do it for this edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust. Don't forget to download and subscribe to the pod on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And check us out in video form on the Marquee Sports Network app. Thanks for listening.